0: Um, so I have some news for you. Uh, it, it would have been this morning, and I was on my way over to the gym for an early morning workout. And just as I'm pulling into the gym, my phone rings, and I didn't recognize the 512 area code. And uh, and I thought, surely, you know, telemarketers usually aren't going to call that early on a Sunday. And so I picked it up, and it was Pastor Trent. And he says to me, you know, I have, you know that I've been sick all week, um, and I've been trying to push through, and he says, but last night, my back went out, and he said, it was so painful, I almost fainted, and I thought that I could get up this morning, and maybe, you know, try and stretch it out a little bit, uh, but that's just not happening, and is there any way that you could preach this morning? (laughs) So, you know, maybe the first thing I should say is sorry, <laughs> but uh, yeah, so you got second string today, but uh, we're going to go ahead and we're going to look at um, something other than John 12. I know that you have notes maybe in your lap uh, as to John 12, and Trent hopes to preach that uh, Lord willing next Sunday, and, and so uh, we can look forward to that. Um, but that today it's going to be Psalm 103, okay? He said, "Go ahead and, you know, surely you have something in a file somewhere." And I didn't say this to him, but I thought to myself, "Actually, I don't. <laughs> I have, but I've used all of those, and I have not been diligent to get back to make sure I had an, another one." And uh, but I've had Psalm 103. Uh, memorized uh, for just many years now. It's a psalm that has meant so much to me. I've never had an opportunity to preach a sermon on it. And um, and I'm not gonna share it with you from memory because it was long enough ago that it was p- uh, prior to this version that we prefer here at this church. So I'm gonna actually be reading most of it this morning uh, from our preferred version. Um, it's Psalm 103 and a beautiful psalm. And I think what we'll do is just kind of read through it, make some observations, say some things that will hopefully be helpful to you as the Spirit of God is at work in your heart and in your life, and, uh, and, and, and have that be a blessing. Okay, so Psalm 103. And let me go ahead and pray for, for Trent and for us uh, as we get going. So Father, uh, here we are, and... We want to praise you for who you are. And we are about to read your word in Psalm 103 and we need your help to get a better handle on who you are. And then as that happens, Father, as you help us to make that happen in our minds and hearts right now, then we're going to take that and send that back to you as worship right now. We want that to happen. Father, we pray for our pastor. He is our senior pastor. You have brought him to us. You have blessed us in just countless ways at this point. And we ask for your uh, kindness to extend itself into his his life, his body right now to heal him. Uh, Pray that Amanda would not get sick. She's the only one at this point holding on. Pray that she wouldn't get sick. And Father, also that you would heal him in his back. Just so much pain there. Uh, and that you would deliver him that way. And Father, we are cognizant that there are others in our congregation who have got bodily pain right now, and that's why they couldn't join us here this morning. We pray for your uh, kindness to go toward them as well and to relieve them, to alleviate, to heal them. And Father, we wanna pray because we know that there are those who are suffering in other ways, and that that is perhaps why they're not here with us this morning. Father, that there are those who would even say, I don't want to go to church because I have been hurt by the church in ways that are so sad. And Father, we pray for your blessing and your kindness and your love to go toward them this morning and continue to work in them maybe not so much to bring them to this church, but to definitely and eternally draw them to yourself. And Father, even for those who would not come to this church this morning because they don't believe that you exist, that you would bring yourself much glory by working in their hearts and in their lives to draw them to you. So Father, suffering, is profound and it takes so many forms. We pray that you would bring the full content of your character, all your attributes perfectly to bear upon so many and convince them of who you are and your love for them in Jesus Christ, your son, and what it is that he has done for them, and make them yours. So, Father, we pray for this now as we get into Psalm 103. We're looking forward to it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. I think we're going to have it up on the screens, but if you have your Bible, again, yet again, we are in Psalm 103. It says this, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, not Lord bless me. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. I received a book from a good friend and colleague, Pastor Dan, uh, recently. It's a book on the 23rd Psalm, and it was published in 1895. And it has been, just been life to my soul recently, my own devotional walk. And as that author is kind of walking through Um, his descriptions of what's happening in Psalm 23, he starts with a comment about the Lord. And I don't remember the exact, you know, quote, but I'm gonna try to give it to you anyway, because it just spoke to me like I have rarely been spoken of, at least lately in my life, as to the kind of Lord we're dealing with. This psalm kicks off with bless the Lord Psalm 23 kicks off with the Lord is my shepherd. Who is it that we're talking about? And this man said this, that from the aphid on the rose petal to the archangel at the throne, all life Finds its source in him and is utterly dependent upon him for its existence. From the aphid on the rose petal to the archangel before the throne of God. Here's how Paul said it to the philosophers of ancient Greece when he's first introducing them to Yahweh, you know, the God of Israel, Jesus Christ, Lord of the church, husband. And he says this, for the God who made the world and everything in it is Lord of heaven and earth and he does not live in temples built by hands He would have said that with a Parthenon right there in front of him. And he does not live in temples built by hands and he's not served by human hands as if he needed anything because he himself gives all men and women life and breath and everything else, everything from the aphid on the rose petal to the archangel at the throne. That's the Lord we're talking about this morning. That's the Lord who is, and that's the Lord who is of and oversees all. We're gonna see that later on in the psalm also. So... We just want to be so clear who it is that we're going before, reading about, worshiping, in relationship with. want that to be so clear, so perfectly clear. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. We want to know him for who he is at this church. He wants us to know him for who he is. And that's who he is, he's holy. Bless his holy name. Then it says this in these next four verses. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Or forget none of his benefits in another version it says. Forget none of his benefits. And then it lists these things that are good for us when we are in relationship with him. You know, sometimes in my own spirit, I have to confess that I can get... um, kind of judgmental and I look out and around me and then you know, hopefully I'm looking at myself as well and saying, you know, there are too many of us who are only turning to God because of you know, the good things that we think he's gonna get us or give us and that we're not going to him enough just for who he is. But then I read a text like this and I'm rebuked. Frankly, just call it what it is, I'm rebuked because he does give so many benefits and if David lists them, then so should we, right? He says this, who forgives all your iniquity. He forgives my sins. And he overcomes my sinful nature so that everything that is just polluted about me, that keeps me from him, he has dealt with, he has swept it all away. He pardons all my iniquity. He heals all my diseases. You know, disease takes so many forms. And he may not, we know this to be true, right? That he may not heal from disease the way we want him to. He may not even heal from disease the way we expect him to with the faith that he has given us to believe that he will answer. He may not do that even but he will definitely heal. He promises to heal. And even if that means he brings a soul home to heaven, he has healed. By the way, we, we know that um, de- death is not a state of being, right? You know that. Um, that, that, that death is just an instantaneous transition, we'll call it but it is not a state of being. Those who die are brothers and sisters in the faith who have gone on before us. They are with him immediately. Yeah, amen to that. Just a little bit louder amen to that, right? Yeah, good. I mean, we need that. We, we need to remember that. We're told to remember that, to be encouraged by that. And right now at this church, there are people who are maybe even on their deathbed who are looking forward to that who by faith know that that will be their reality shortly. And so we want to rejoice and thank God. Yes, he heals all my diseases. He pardons all my sin. What else? He redeems my life from the pit. That's where I was prior to Jesus. This is where I am now. I'm redeemed who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. You know, I'll I'll just go ahead and share that. Maybe maybe this is inappropriate, but um, I don't care. You know, it's about me. (laughs) Uh, I turned 54 last week. They they say that maybe you shouldn't tell your, your age, but okay. So there I went. Um, But I want us to see something here in this verse, in verse five, that God is promising to satisfy you and me with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagle. Okay, in another version. And I want to say that the things that used to make me feel younger don't make me feel younger anymore but that God in his goodness brings new things into my life that now make me feel younger which wouldn't have made me feel younger back then you see you see what i'm saying that he is so faithful that he tracks us over the course of the sanctification or the maturity that he's working in us so that he's encouraging us as we grow, knowing that we're going to be encouraged by new and different things. And, and that, that that is so beautiful and wonderful that he would do that. That his renewing of us while we're still on earth and prior to our face-to-face meeting with him it's so perfectly paced. Love that about him. So those first five verses. Now let's just read through the next, I don't know, eight or nine verses here. Verses six through 14. And I just want us to see, maybe this is the kind of thing that you could write down uh, if, if you wanted to there on, on, your, on the sheet that you may have. Um, but just some different things as to the attributes of God, or the way that God is, the way that he works, the way that he delivers, here in these next verses. It says in verse six, the Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. Do, do we understand that the only qualification needed for God to work righteousness and justice on your behalf is that you be oppressed. There's nothing else there in that verse. If you're oppressed, he will work. Again, maybe not in the way that you define it, but he will definitely work. In the Hebrew, you go back to these two words, justice and righteousness, and they're actually the same word. It's actually God coming to us and saying, I am going to be righteous, so righteous on your behalf. I'm going to be just. I'm going to be so just on your behalf because I see, even if you don't see, by the way, Even if you don't feel yourself or would describe yourself as oppressed to a friend, I see that you are oppressed in ways that you've missed about yourself and I'm going to bat for you. Awesome. God, that he would do that. That he would want to do that. So the Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed He works that according to his own terms, for his own purposes, to accomplish his own ends, but that he does that, and then some. I do this, yeah, you better believe I do this. Verse seven, he made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. Do you remember that? You know, the story of the exodus, the uh, exodus in the book of the Bible, the second book of the Bible, right? And Moses is born first 40 years uh, as a prince of Egypt, second 40 years in the desert, being prepared by God. His ministry didn't start until he was 80 years old. His formal ministry started at 80. That gives us hope, right? Made known his ways to Moses, in that he then at eighty, he calls Moses to go and confront Pharaoh, you know get back to Egypt, and let him know, let my people go and and that was the message, at least half the message you know as you read through the book of Exodus, especially those early chapters and and There's Moses and Aaron is with him and they're going back and forth with Pharaoh and all the plagues and the blood and the frogs and the gnats and the flies and the livestock and the darkness and that list goes on. 10 plagues and every time, you know, the message of this is what the Lord says, let my people go so that they may worship me. See, he he doesn't just say let my people go. My mission in the life of my children is not just to free them up and cut them loose and let them do whatever brings them pleasure. That's not my mission. My mission is to save them, to deliver them out of bondage, you know, the iron smelting furnace of Egypt, to deliver them out of Bondage, and to deliver them to myself, and so that's why it says, uh, uh, for instance, in um, in Exodus nineteen four, uh, you yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt, and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. I want you to be my own. I want to be in this relationship with you. And so I'm going to perform all my wonders. Moses is going to sing about that. You know, who is like you, O Lord among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome, in glorious deeds, doing wonders? That's in Exodus 15. So Moses is going to see it. Those people of God are going to live it. But he's not just freeing them up. His acts among the people, per Psalm 103, mean that he is making them his own. That's where we want to be. I want to be owned by God. I want to be gods. G-O-D apostrophe S. <laughs> right? So he made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. Verse eight. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. Do you see his heart there? The heart of God. That's the the heart of God, by the way, with or without you. It is the heart of God with or without me that God does not love us because he finds us lovable, but that he loves us because, like the Bible says, God is love. God is love, and it also says the Lord is merciful, and the Lord is gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is compassionate. So is Jesus. Do you remember that scene in Mark chapter one when the leper comes, right at the tail end of Mark chapter one and the leper comes and and he and Jesus are there and the leper says essentially this, I know that you can heal me. You're able to heal me, but do you want to? And Jesus, I have to believe he smiled (laughs) because it says there that he had compassion or mercy upon him. And that he said, yeah, I do want to. And he healed him. You know, just the the compassion of Christ. You know, it says that Christ is merciful. Do, do you remember the scene in Matthew 15 with a Syrophoenician woman and she comes before him and she's already feeling a great sense of shame and the disciples aren't helping at all. And she says, son of David, have mercy on me because of my daughter. And Jesus does. And he commends her, her faith in that narrative. You know, he rewards the faith what I have to believe was a great mom on that occasion, Matthew 15, or slow to anger. Um, do, do you remember the scene from Luke chapter seven when there's this woman who has a very definite bad reputation in town, she was a woman of the night. But she had heard probably out on the streets that Jesus was at Simon's house. Simon was a Pharisee. And so this woman goes in, and she has enough tears. I mean, the, the picture is a little bit overwhelming. She's standing at the back of his feet as he's kind of reclining out in front, like, kind of leaning sideways, and the dinner table is out in front of him but she has enough tears. She must have been sobbing. Enough tears and enough snot. Can I just say that? Because that's what it would have been. Enough moisture to have saturated his feet enough to have washed them with her hair. This was before she anointed his feet with oil. That that in the sequence of events in Luke chapter seven, it went from her tears to her hair to her lips kissing his feet. And then she anointed, after she kissed his feet, she anointed his feet with oil. And it says, Jesus... Knew what Simon, the Pharisee, was thinking about that woman, that she was a sinner, and if this man were a prophet, he would know the kind of woman who has just yet again disgraced herself here and now in my home. And Jesus turns to Simon and he says, Do you see this woman? This dear, lovely, passionate woman that I can't even communicate to you how much I love her. She has done all these things for me. You have done nothing for me. And what about her? Do you see the patience of Christ with Simon? If it had been me, frankly, I think I'd have, I think I'd have blown Simon right off the planet if I had known his thoughts. Now that's me and my self-righteousness. But Jesus in his love and in his patience, in his slow to anger-ness treated Simon with compassion. The Lord is merciful and he's gracious, he's slow to anger and he is abounding in steadfast love says he will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For verse 10 there, just put his grace. Just see his grace there. That he doesn't deal with us according to our sins because he has already dealt with Christ according to our sins. He has dealt with Christ according to our sins, and that he punished Christ instead of punishing us. I marvel that David wrote that prior to Christ, but that's our reality, and we worship him because of that. Nor repay us according to our iniquities, for as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. Write down, his love his love that's a lot of love my, my son recently she sent uh, Kim and I a text and it had some sort I remember the uh, I think it was called the Fermi paradox or something like that maybe you've seen that um, but this question that gets asked about, uh, it was kind of funny actually, where are the aliens? Why aren't there aliens? And then it goes into just the expanse and the measurements of the universe and so forth, lets us know that they're still discovering galaxies and how far away these galaxies would be, and how long it would take and how many light years it would take to just cross from one side of our own Milky Way galaxy to the other. But it's just talking about the vastness of of the universe. And here in this verse it says, for as high as the heavens are above the earth. So we're on earth, and whoever the people were who produced that YouTube video, we're, they're here on earth with us and we're all looking out at the heavens together. And even if it would take 100 million light years to get to the very closest galaxy or whatever, God's love is more vast and perfect and complete than that. Do you understand that? Do I get that? That's what that verse is saying. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. And as far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from from us. His forgiveness. Have you appreciated the forgiveness of God toward you lately? You know, have I? When you take communion maybe, You know, when when was the last time I wept when I took communion? Forgiveness doesn't mean that He forgets our sin. He's omniscient and He cannot forget. But it does mean that He removes it in such a way as to count it against us. It does not count, it does not signify anymore. It is removed from any kind of influence, it is removed. Verse 13, as a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him, his fatherliness. It's a bit risky to talk about that, right? I mean, not all fathers, not all of us had fathers, It would have, in a sense, fit this verse because they showed compassion to us in our younger years. But I just want to say, you know, it is a prayer that I have, I'm, I'm sure it's a prayer many of us have, that for those of us who did not have the best father, that by the grace of the Holy Spirit at work in our lives, we would begin to define fatherhood according to the perfect fatherhood of the father and have that in a sense rewrite, not, not, not disavow the history we've had with our own dads but to kind of have it rewrite our emotions almost and say that even though there were traumatic and sad, sometimes even horrific things that happened to me because of my dad when I was young that I have a perfect father now. He loves me. He wants me. He is always with me to bless me and to have that be kind of our present and future reality. The father shows compassion to his children and all fathers should but as a good father does, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he himself knows our frame. He is mindful that we are but dust. His knowledge of us. I'm thankful that he knows me. I'm thankful that he knows my weaknesses, my shortcomings, limitations, Thankful that he knows all that stuff. I'm thankful that he knows the bad stuff about me that I haven't even had occurred to me before. Now, he still loves me, not waiting for me to get a clue and then deal with it and then love me, but that he loves me. He's mindful. And then into verse 15. As for man, his days are like grass. He knows us for who we are. This sounds a lot like me. He flourishes, maybe it sounds a lot like you. She flourishes like a flower of the field for when the wind passes over it, and it is gone, and its place knows it no more. That there are people, maybe, for whatever reason, You know, you've achieved, you think that you've achieved some measure of notoriety. Someone looks at you and says, wow, that won't last. The time will come when I will be forgotten. Its place acknowledges it no more. So what? Well, here's so what. The very next verse, verse 17, but, but, it's a big but, (laughs) But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children. Yeah, yeah, like amen, because I, I mean, we need that, right? I mean, don't we all need that? Don't we all want that for the righteousness of Christ Christ? to be toward our children and our grandchildren and to spread out right through the family tree to just have that be the legacy just singularly if need be just I don't care what you do with them or to them how you use them it's whatever you want just save them make them yours father The steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children, to those who keep his covenant and who remember to do his commandments. And then this verse, which is just, it hits a little bit like a hammer. I think if we're reading closely enough in verse 19 where it says, the Lord has established his throne in the heavens the same heavens as referring to earlier, as high as the heavens, all the galaxies we have yet to discover. The Lord has established His throne there. And His kingdom, or in another version, His sovereignty. At times I get a sense that that's a dirty word almost. What a beautiful, glorious word and the old NASB it says and his sovereignty rules over all period. and including my suffering, by the way. Um, yeah, you know I three years ago, right? so I had prostate cancer, they discovered it in a miraculous way. And the doctor says to me, uh, you know, your, your, your prostate is saturated with cancer right now, and we need to do a robotic prostatectomy, slip six places right across the abdomen. They did that, okay? So that, that was cancer. It was, it was, you know, for us, that became hardly even a blip on the screen, after time went by, because you know, then our daughter, you know, we have to fly her home from Australia, um, and, and, and she goes in for a pretty complicated uh, back surgery over in New York City. Uh, she has that, then a month later, um, you know, we're, she, she has an emergency. We don't know what's happened. I'm with a bunch of guys from the church in upstate New York on a wilderness trip, and I, I have the caretaker come out to me and kind of knock on my tent at whatever time it was that Saturday morning and say, uh, there's been an emergency, and, you know, I'm six hours away. I get home. She's in ICU at West Shore Hospital. Kim and I, our, our daughter was in so much pain I come in and, and, and I see her trying to talk through her pain. And we had to get close. And, and she says, through gritted teeth, she says, tell them to stop praying because it doesn't work. That's how much pain she was in. And, and Kim and I stepped out into the hallway. We held hands, we cried. And we said, "Father, if you want to bring our daughter home to you right now, then make it so she was in that much pain. You know, so it's hard. I mean, so we we had that. Um, you know, Kim's dad died. That was hardly a blip on the screen too. You know, we had to put her mom into a care facility for Alzheimer's. We were just out. You know, her mom continues to decline. We're across, I'm, I'm at, I don't know, Dairy Queen or wherever it was, Culver's. <laughs> and I'm looking at Kim and my mother-in-law across the table. And Kim is showing her mom pictures on her phone and saying, Mom, who's this? And her mom says, well, you know. And Kim says, Mom, who is this? And her mom looks at her and laughs and says, well, come on, yeah, you know. And her mom said, mom, that's me. That's not easy. And then, you know, a year ago, just over a year ago, I'm out in my backyard, it's It's midnight going toward 1 a.m., and I'm praying, and I'm I'm thanking the Lord for having gotten us through 2018 and saying, Father, just, you know, it would be great if 2019 could be a little bit easier. And less than nine hours later, at 8.51 a.m. on Monday, January 7th, I get a call saying that Kim has been in a head-on auto collision in a 50 mile an hour zone, which would be like driving your car at 100 miles an hour into a cement wall. They had to almost amputate her leg. You know, and I'm sitting there at 3 a.m. in the hospital room. It's, It's pretty quiet in the ward at that time of night. And she's asleep. There's no nurses around at that point. And I'm just saying, you know what? What, Father, what? And I I can tell you that what, just the the so perfectly apparent picture in my head at that point was Job in Job 1. It felt like just one thing after another, just like what Job, it's how it felt to me as a husband and a dad and a son-in-law and so forth. but the message that came through was, I think the same that eventually came through to Job, and that was, this is not about you learning a lesson. This is not about you having to somehow figure out a new mission or a philosophy of ministry. This is not about you taking charge of whatever this or that. This is just about one thing and one thing only. I am going to cause things that are going to be taken by you as very difficult, trial in your life. And when these sorts of trials begin to unfold in your life, will you stick with me or will you run from me? And that's it. That's the only question. That's the only thing. And we'll see. And it may not just be me, it may be the angels just like it was for Job, and it may be Satan and the demons the way it was for Job, but we'll see because that's where you're at. And at that point, I'm having to come to terms with the sovereignty of God in my suffering. And it wasn't easy. And only by the grace of God, I want to say that I think by today anyway, you know, there's been a fair bit of back and forth, but I'm still hanging around because the Holy Spirit is the one who empowers. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. We're finishing with this. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his sovereignty rules over all. Bless the Lord, O you his angels. You mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of his word. Bless the Lord all his hosts, his ministers who do his will. Bless the Lord all his works in all places of his dominion, which is as expansive as the universe I tried to describe a moment ago. Everything, all the time, worship, bless the Lord from the soul or for whatever you would define as your soul, you know, the souls of his works, whatever it is, everything to the glory, everything to the blessing, bless the Lord, oh my soul. That's where David ends up. It's where he started, bless the Lord, oh my soul. It's where he ends up at the end of the psalm, bless the Lord, oh my soul. It's where we wanna end up, right? It's where we wanna end up. All right, let's pray. Father, thank you, and it's it's where we want to end up. We want to be a blessing from the soul to you. You have said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. We want to love you. We want to be a blessing to you. Take us. Make us that. Do it on your terms. And make us want that. Make us want to be used by you and to have your work done in us, we pray. In the name of Jesus, amen.